We are learning Daf Nun Aleph. We're a few lines down here. We're in the middle of uh, the story where Rebbe is making a wedding for his son, Reb Shimon. So yesterday, we learned how we didn't invite Bar Kapara initially. And how Bar Kapara uh, and Rebbe had a sort of dispute whether it was good to laugh or not. And Rebbe, when Rebbe would laugh, bad things would happen. He begged Bar Kapara not to make him laugh. And then Bar Kapara still ended up making him laugh. So now the Gemara goes back to the wedding idea. So the Gemara says, Amalei, Kava said to Rebbe's daughter, Tomorrow I'm going to be drinking wine with your father dancing and your mother's going to be singing. He's trying to say, like, I'm going to be there. I am going to be at this wedding, very involved in the festivities. There was someone named Ben Alasa, and he was a son-in-law for Rebbe. He was a very wealthy person. Why this is relevant, we don't yet know. We'll have to see towards the end of the story why the son-in-law Ben Alasa is relevant. Anyways, Bar Kapar was invited here to the wedding of Reb Shimon, Rebbe's son, eventually. So now we're at the wedding. Amalei Bar Kapar, the Rebbe. Bar Kapar said to Rebbe, he said, My to'eva, the Pasuk says, when it's talking about Mishkav Zachar, the Torah says that lying with another man is a to'eva. So it's, a, it's an interesting word because it, you can just, you know, loosely translate it as abomination. But what, what is the etymology of the word? That's really the question the Gemara is trying to focus on. What is to'eva? Anytime any explanation that Rebbe would give to the question, that Tueva comes from here, Tueva comes from there, Parche Bar Kapar, Bar Kapar would slug it up. He'd refute it right away. So Amalei, eventually Rebbe said, Parshiat, why well, you should explain it. Clearly you know more about the topic than me. Amalei Bar Kapar said to Rebbe, I want your wife to come and pour me a cup. Meaning to say, he's trying to, the whole thing is that he's trying to lighten the mood over here. And he wants Torah to be learned in a very like lighthearted way, which is not so clear what the point of all this is. But he says, let's have another cup of wine and then, then we'll relax and then I'll tell you. Also, Rami Leishi comes and she pours him. So I'm like, Rebbe, then it's like he's blackmailing Rebbe to find, do whatever he wants, twisting his arm, compelling him to do anything in order to get the information out of him. So Bar Kapara said to Rebbe, Go dance. I need you to do a dance in front of me before I'll tell you. So he got himself with a cup of wine and a dance from Rebbe but, um, before he would tell Rebbe what it was. So eventually Bar Kapara told him, This is the Pshat, what Hashem is saying. It's a contraction of the words, which means that you're straying after this. In other words, the idea is, is that it's going after the, the normal way, Toa, you're straying Ataba with this with this sort of relationship. Then what happened? He wanted to get another drink. So so he said to Rebbe, my tevel. It says in the Pasuk, this is talking about bestiality. So a woman, it says she shouldn't stand before an animal. And if she does, it's a tevel. So again, loosely translated, tevel is just, you know, something perverted. But it doesn't, we don't get the real um, root of the word. So Rebbe said to Bar the same as what happened before, meaning he gave him many plausible explanations. Bar Kapar rejects all of them. And eventually Rebbe says to Bar Kapar, if you reject all of them, then why don't you just explain it yourself? Amalei Bar Kapar said to Rebbe, what you did, um, do again, and in return, I'll tell you. Meaning I want them, my, another cup of wine from your wife and I want you to, to dance. So Abed, Rebbe did it. So Amalei, eventually Bar Kapar said to Rebbe, Tevelhu, Tavlan Yeshba. Tevelhu means, is there a spice? It's like rhetorical. Is there a special spice here? So meaning to say, is there, is this really enjoy, enjoy more enjoyable? Mishanya Hada Bia Min Kulos Bias. What the Torah is asking us and challenging us in Tevelhu, is this any different from any other natural Bias? Well, is there any more pleasure here? So Tevel is Melashim Tavlin, spices. And what it's saying is, does it taste any better? And it's a rhetorical question, meaning to say clearly the answer is no. So then why are you pursuing it?
Amarle, then a third, a third one. My zima. What's the meaning of the pasuk zima? So this is talking about um, a person who who sets up his daughter to be his ona. So the pasuk basically says that a person who does that, he's filling the the world, filling the land with zima. So what is that? Amale, Bar Kapar said to Rebbe, do like you had asked before. He wants to drink and he wants Rebbe to dance. So Abed Rabale, Rebbe did so, Bar Kapar said to him. Eventually he said, Zu Mahi. The idea is that the child who will be born from Azona, everyone will say, this, what is he? Meaning to say there will not be clear who the father's who the father of the child will be, because Zona sleeps with so many men that she cannot possibly know who the identity of the child is. Eventually, there was so all this stuff, you know, Rebbe Kapar is in a certain way very disrespectful to Rebbe at this wedding, you know, making him too light and dance and pry the information out of him, so on and so forth. So, but Alasa, who was Rebbe's son-in-law, he couldn't bear this anymore. So, so he just got up, him and his wife, and they, and they, and they left. So the idea seems to be is that because he was wealthy, the, the Mefarish over here says, because he was wealthy, it was like he, he didn't feel like he owed anyone anything, you know? So he didn't like the way his father-in-law was being treated by Kapara. He walked with his wife, and they left the wedding. Now the Gemara just wants to know a little bit more about him. I've been Allah, so. Titania, it says in the Bible, looking at of he didn't waste um, his, his, his money for no reason. So we're, talking, we're going to talk in a second that he got a very expensive haircut. So we're going to say, he didn't do it for no reason, like he just wanted to beautify himself. Ella, the reason he did it was the harassment as far as the Kohen Gadol. He was trying to show people what the special haircut of the Kohen Gadol looked like. You know, that, 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 that was the point of, of doing it. It says in the Pasuk, it's talking about Kohen Gadol. So this is a Pasuk that's found in Yechezkel. There are many Pesukim in Yechezkel. We read this Haftar Pashas Emmar, which describe, you know, laws of the Kohen Gadolim, which are not written explicitly in the Pesukim in the Torah. And, the, the, you know, we, we, we learn certain things. So one of the things that we see from over there is about the special haircut. So it doesn't say, you know, what exactly to do. Here it, it elaborates more. It says, Kosom yich simu es rosheim. So there's a special trim on their heads. It's like a special haircut that's given by the lulins. My lulins, what type of haircut is this? It is so unique. You cannot find this anywhere else. The tip of one hair reaches the bottom, the base of the hair that is next to it. So somehow it's like hair by hair. I think that's the point. Normally, when you get a haircut, nobody's cutting every strand of hair by itself in a certain design or certain you know way. You do. You take a scissors. You cut. You cut a lot of hairs together. This one, each hair is a specific design about what its length should be in the way that 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 it lines up with the hairs adjacent to it. This was the unique special uh, specialty haircut of the Kohen Gadol. And Ben Alasa, who was so rich, he could afford it and he did it. Not for his own you know, beauty to adorn himself, but rather to educate the people in terms of what the haircut looked like. Okay, so now we've finished up this whole Indian of Bar Kapara and Rabbi and the wedding. So now we go back to the mission. The mission was talking about someone who was offering himself from a tabshil. So remember, a tabshil is any food prepared that's eaten together with bread. So we said that the things that are not eaten with bread, whether it's certain gourd, um, a certain gourd that we're looking at, a certain egg that we talked about yesterday, uh, certain porridges. So now we're going to talk about this gourd, the las haramutza, the ramutza gourd. So the Mars says, my las haramutza, what is the meaning of this term, the ramutza gourd? Amar Shmuel, kara karkuzai, it's a place, from a place kara karkuzai, it's a certain species, it's different. The Ran learns that there was something uniquely different about the gourds that came from this place. Others learning that karkuzoi means specifically that it was round, and that's the idea. And the point of this is that this gourd doesn't cook well, it doesn't get soft well, so it always remains hard, and that's why it's not eaten with bread. 
It means something else. It doesn't mean a specific species of a gourd. It means any gourd. But the point is that it was baked in hot ashes. Remets, and that's how Ramutza means the way that it was prepared was through putting it in hot ash. So basically, it could be any gourd from any place, and it's just a matter of the way that it's prepared. So it says the Gloria, it's very Vino Ravashi. We ask a Kashan Ravashi, because it says in a price from Nechemi Omer, Talatsa Ramasi, Talatsa Mitzvah. Armenian gourds are identified as the same species in terms of the Egyptian gourd, same thing. So therefore, it wouldn't be Kalayim. Remember, Kalayim is that you can't plant different species together. So let's say I have one Armenian gourd and one Egyptian gourd, it was not a problem. However, Kalayim Ayavanis, they would be Kalayim with a Greek gourd. The Greek gourd is different. There's something different features about it. That's considered a different species. And, and Kalayim Aramutza, they're also Kalayim with the Ramutza gourd. So in other words, the fact that we're saying that the Armenian and Egyptian gourd is it would be Kalayim with the Ramutza, what does that show us? That shows us that the Ramutza gourd is a particular type of species of a gourd and that it's different from these other ones. And that's why it's Kalayim to plant them together. So Bish, some of you say like Shmuel, that it's a specific type of species from like a certain shape or from a certain place, then we can understand it's a different species. But Ravashi was saying it's any gourd, it's just a matter of the way that it's prepared, the fact that it's prepared with the hot ash. So then why in the world is the price identifying the Ramutza gourd as Kalayim with another type of species? It's the same exact thing. So the Mar says, Tiyofta, you're right. In fact, this price rejects Ravashi. Ramutza clearly is a different type of species of a gourd. Then we analyze the end of the Mishnah. I know that Mimaisa Kadir, someone who says that I'm a Nadir against something prepared in the pot, you know, also the Mimaisa Vesach, it's only referring to food which requires a lot of cooking, like the, the rice, the millet, because he's not saying anything that goes in the pot. He's saying the Mimaisa Kadir, something which is like the preparation, the work of a pot. So that added the implication specifically of something which requires extensive boiling. But if he said, I'm not going to taste something which goes into the pot, then he's also in anything which goes into the pot at all. That was the point that the mission said. So now a so is just not going to disagree in any way, but it's just going to elaborate on these halachas tanya. So just to understand a little bit, there used to be things which were prepared in a pan and things which were prepared in a pot. Right? We have, you know, pans, pots, and then there's ovens. So ovens were typically mostly used for bread. Uh, you know, those like inverted cone shapes. We're going to get to those. But then you had pan and you had pots. So what's the difference between a pan and a pot? So a pan is usually thin, right? In other words, it doesn't have a depth to it. And uh, it's a certain type of thing, the way we prepared it. It's a thin, a thinner preparation closer to the heat of fire. That's like what we call, think of like today, like a frying pan, you know, something like that. Whereas a pot is a deeper, has a deeper dock, is a deeper clee, and usually you boil water in it and then put things in the boiling water. Now, and often, I shouldn't say often, but even to some extent, sometimes today, some real chefs will, will do both, right? You'll, you'll first put something in a pot, cook it a little bit, and then you'll finish it in a frying pan, in, in, the, in the pan. And that's very normal in the times of the Gemara as well. So it would be, let me just clarify, it would not be normal to just take something and put it directly in the pan. What's normal is that you take something and you put it in a pot. Now, some things you let be finished in the pot, other things you take out and you finish them in the pan. So now the terminology here, important point is that for them is a kedera is a pot and the ilfis is the pan, right? Okay, those are the terminology. So Tanya says in Raza, no demina, you're looking there. Somebody who made a net, I'm not gonna have benefit of something that goes into a pot. So what goes into a pot? Not only things which are finished cooking in a pot. He's offering himself even in things that go into a pan. Why? Food that, are, that goes into a pan has already gone, gone into the pot. So what we're saying is, if you're offering yourself, the lashon is from that which goes in, 
So if you ask yourself to that which goes in in a pot, you're including things that are finished in the pan because even the things that are finished in the pan finit first all go into the pot. However, if he said minayor the ilfus, the nether is answering himself that which goes into the pan. So then he's going to be mutter mutter yor the there will be mutter into the things that are finished in the pot. Um, and, and the idea is because those things are never going to the pan. Says the brides are continuing in a nasabic there, but if somebody doesn't say from that which goes in, but rather what is made or finished in a pot, mother of elfis, he's mother in that which is finished in the pan, even though it goes in first to the pot. But here the emphasis in his language is that which is nase. Nase means that which is completed, finished, made. So therefore he's going to be mother in the things which are taken out prematurely and finished in the pan. But an Asabelfus, if he says another offering that which is finished in a pan, mother of elfis, will be mother in something finished in a pot. Pretty straightforward. Now, I know the Menayor the Tanner, someone who makes a net, I'm not going to get benefit, and that which goes to the oven, in Osrael He only means to Osrael himself on the bread. So, again, the way we have it, you have an inverted cone, you have a fire in the, in the middle of the cone, and then there's a little hole on the top. So, that's the oven. So, typically, the way the main usage of the ovens was that they would take bread, it was a very special process. They would stick it to the inside wall of that cone. That's the way where the bread went. So, the stam, the stam thing that goes to an oven is a bread. Now, the reason why that's a novelty is because you can roast many things in an oven. You know, it's not like that's the only thing that you can do is bread. But if you're ossering yourself to the Yorid Latana, the bride so assumes you're only ossering yourself for the bread. Unless he uses more of an inclusive term, the stam, I mean, a Yorid Latana is only bread. But if he says, Komasatana are lie. All preparations of the oven are also to me, so those extraneous words, those extra words mean any sort of thing. Let's say, you know, he takes meat and he roasts it in an oven in that way, it would become also as well. All right, here we go. Moving quickly. Says the Mishnah. Min ha-kavosh. So kavosh, kavosh means something like, you know, they say like pickled, like preserved, like you put it in some sort of brine and pickling type of thing so 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 the, so the, it preserves the, ve- the vegetables longer now you can do this not only to vegetables it's very normal to do it to vegetables but you can do it for meats as well you can preserve them put them in some sort of brine which will which will make them not rot as quick but if a guy says kavush, from the preserved food and here the key is that he doesn't say from things that are pickled he says from the preserved food it's the hay that's the focus here. So then we assume he's only offering himself on vegetables. Vegetables are the pickled preserved thing. Even though you could do it to other foods as well. But the norm is that the vet, the, that if you talk about the one with the hay idea, the reference is only to vegetables. However, if he didn't use the hay, he just said kavashani toim. He said, I'm, preserved food is also to me that I won't taste it. So he doesn't have the hay. Then he's also on all preserved foods. Anything which was preserved doesn't make a difference. If it's a vegetable, if it's meat, he is going to be answering himself. Very similar. Let's say a guy is talking about shalok. So shalok, remember, we saw in the beginning of the paragraph, we discussed shalok can mean undercooked. So he said, if he said from the undercooked food with a hay, usually stam, it's a reference to, to, to undercooked meat specifically. And if, let's say, you had an undercooked uh, vegetable, even though it's undercooked, it's not included in hashalok. Whereas if he left out the hay and he said, shalok shani toheim, then also bachalashalokim. He's also from any undercooked food, regardless of whether it's meat or not. So in our Mishnah, the ikr is the hay. So I'm going to let Ravashi. What about if he's speaking in Bavel? And instead of a hay, he says a dalit. Omar dichvish. 
that which is preserved. My, what is the law? Dishlik, or that which is undercooked. What's the law? Ditzli, that which is roasted. My, dimliach, that which is salted. Eichen, mashma. The last two we have to see is coming up. It's foreshadowing. We're going to see in the Mishnah that the same business with the hay makes a difference for tzli and maliach. We'll see in the next Mishnah. So basically, the question that we're asking here in the Gemara is, in our Mishnah, we differentiate between a person who says these terms with hay or without saying hay. If you say with hay, we only go after the main product that we do that to. But if you say without the hay, anything that is done, that process is done to it, it is included. So what we want to know is in Aramaic, if I substitute the hay and I put a dalit, what is the implication? Does it get that same, you know, hey, Hayadiyah status? And it's only the essential one which is done. Or does the Dalit less emphatic? And it just means anything where it was done to it as if what would happen when you leave out the hey? That's the topic in the Gemara. And the Gemara does not resolve this question. The Gemara says, Tibai, the question remains unresolved. It's very interesting. You know, sometimes in language, like, I mean, obviously this is all about language. All this, That's the big rule of the whole parak. Which is what makes these Gemaras so technical in a way super easy. But it's very interesting how in language, that's goof of what the Gemara is saying. There may simply not be a good substitute for a hey. In Hebrew, when you say hey, it's not, you're, not, you're not just saying that which is preserved. It's not what you're saying. When you say hamaliach men hakavosh, you're not just saying from that which is, you know, that, that's not really the, hey is a stronger connotation to it. It's the preserved one. And when I say it in that way, it has a certain status. And I'm not, not saying anything that was preserved. I'm saying the preserved one. And that's where it's so clearly that it's only the vegetable. In another language in Aramaic, there's simply, you can't get that. The language doesn't, it doesn't have that connotation. Why not? You know, like, how come the guy inventing Aramaic one day didn't invent a way to do it? That, that's just the way that the language is. And that's what the Gemara is struggling with. Whether the Dalit here in the, in, the, in the preface, in the prefix of the word in Aramaic does that same thing that the He does in Hebrew. All right, the mission moves on. Minahat Sali. If he said from the rose, and also in Sal Shabasa. So the rose is a reference to me. Devar Rabbi Yehuda. However, if he said Sali to him, any roasted thing, and also call it Salim, any roasted food. It doesn't have to be meat. Minaham Aliyah, we said the salted food, and also Maliyah Shodab. So the salted food is usually referenced specifically to fish. Maliyah Shani to him, any salted food that I taste, also call him He's also to all salted foods. Here, now we move on to fish. Dog, dogim, shani tohim. He said fish or fishes in the plural that I'm going to taste. So, also, ben bing dolmatan. He's also whether they are large, they're small, ben luchem, ben feilim, salted, unsalted, nechaim, vushalim, raw, or cooked. So, basically, dog is a large fish sold like by itself. And that's why it's in the singular. Dogim in the plural are smaller fish that are usually sold altogether. So, if you say dog and dogim, so you're trying to say that you're also on all variety of fish. That's the chiddush. Once we see that really the difference between dog and dogim is whether it's an individual large one or small, well, small ones that are sold in, in, in a larger quantity. But once you're saying dog, dogim, the Rishonim explain a little bit, you're trying to show any type of fish. So, once it's any type of fish in terms of size, we assume it means in any way that it comes prepared. Very interesting. That language does that as well. It's a way of saying fish in any kind. Even though it's not what you said, right? You said dog dog in, which is focusing more on number, not in terms of, let's say, whether it's salted or unsalted, prepared or unprepared. But by virtue of the fact that you've given different types of fish to your, in, in your net, you're saying dog dog in, so therefore we understand that you're including however it comes prepared as well. But mutter be taris terufa ubitsir from worse. He's still mutter to the taris. So taris, it's a very large fish. So they would not, it's like, you know, kind of like people think about this with tuna fish, right? Tuna fish, you don't go and buy a tuna fish. 
you buy a piece of fish, right? That's what it is. The taras was a very large fish, so they would chop it up into small pieces. So when you ask for dog dog him, your mother to the taras, because we are talking dog dog him to a whole fish. It's very interesting. A guy asks himself on fish, could he have tuna fish? Right? So the Mishnah seems to be saying a dog, I don't know English in the way it works, but in Hebrew, the way someone asks himself to dog dog him, he's referring to a, a, a something, to a fish, to a whole fish. So sometimes one, one big fish, one individual fish, sometimes many little fishes, but getting a chunk of, you know, the flesh of the fish, that's not something which, which, which he's including over here. So therefore, he's, he's going to be mutter to the, to the chopped of tiras. Also, what does he mutter do? To the, to the tzir, to fish brine. Brine is not an entity of fish. So therefore, he's mutter to brine, and he's also mutter to the juice. These are all, you know, different types of stuff like this. Now, the brine usually has little pieces of fish in it. But it doesn't matter because again, he's offering himself only to the entity of the fish. And the juice certainly is mother to it, has no has nothing at all. Now, here's the big shy. What is the Mishnah? What would you say the Mishnah holds? If I offer myself to a fish, I'm gonna dog, so now I'm also to this entity. And then somebody goes and squeezes the fish, and out comes brine. Am I allowed to drink that brine? That's not necessarily in the Mishnah. In other words, once the entity becomes Asr, and it's a forbidden entity, it might be also not only to eat its flesh, but to eat anything that has its flavor including his brine. What the Mishnah means that I'm muttered to brine is that someone said, I'm Asr, I am Asr to fish. And I'm Asr with dog dog it. So if he goes to the, to, the, to, to the store and they're selling a fish brine that was squeezed out from the fish before the nether was there, that's mut. That's what the Mishnah is saying. But if there's an entity of a fish that you are Asr to and you squeeze out the brine after that, that we have to see in the Gemara. That's a big sugya. Tom Ke'ikar, we're going to see. It gets really wild over here. We're going to be learning a little taruvis and uh, how it's going to come up. We'll see. I know the man at Sachna. Someone uses the word Sachna. So Sachna usually is a mixture of smaller uh, salted fish and chopped fish as well. So then, also between Trufa, he's also on the chopped up tourist because Sachna includes the chopped up fish. We mutter but here for more, but he's still mutter to the brine and fish juice. I know the Mitaris Trufa, if he said chopped up tarits, he said that specifically mutter but here for more. Again, he's mutter to the brine and the fish juice. So there's different types of dishes where there's chopped up fish. Those are Yasser too, Tars Trufa or Tzachna, but Sir Vimori is the brine and the fish juice are usually left out. So says the Gemara, now we just get a price that explains a little bit more of the grammar here. Tanya, someone who just said dog without dog game, also we told him what to be Tanya, he's only also on a large fish sold individually. But he's permitted to a small fish, if he said fish, even though he didn't say dagim, he said dagah, then he's also a small fish, but permitted to a large fish. Basically, we're saying, Dog is large fish. Dogga is a smaller fish. Now, what, how, isn't that sound so like relative? What's big and what's small? So the Ron quotes over here from the Yishalmi that it depends how much it weighs. You know, it's like it depends if it's more or less or more than a litra in that weight, which is interesting that that's the, that's the factor here. All right. He said both. Dog, dog, gosh. I need to with all the time. Then he's also on both. Okay, says the Gemara. So we see dog is large, dog is small. How do we know this? That dog means a large fish. So we look at the Pasuk by Yonah. Yonah was followed by a fish. What does the Pasuk say? Hashem prepares a dog to swallow Yonah. So there it says in the Pasuk, dog gadol. So you see dog is used to refer to a large fish. Look at the very next Pasuk. It refers to that fish when he's inside of it as daga. So you see that daga can also mean a large fish. So that throws off our whole difference. It says, What happened was 
the large fish swallowed him, it spat out Yonah, and then he was swallowed by a small fish. So the first pasuk is talking about the large fish which swallowed him. The second pasuk is talking about the smaller fish which then got him. He prayed from the smaller fish. Very, very interesting. You know, he fits inside of a small fish. That's less than a, that's less than a litra. Also, what is the significance? And why is that detail left out of the Pasuk and you only learn it in the Dharm Dafnun Aleph from the fact that we learn that Dug and Dug are used and they're different fish? It's such an interesting little story that Yonah leaves the big fish and is spat into a smaller fish. Okay, so we need a better, a better source now. So it says in Mitzrayim by Dam that the Daga died. So, 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 so the Gemara challenges, meaning. If we explain and we're good from the Pesukim and Yonah, that Doug means big and Doug means small, and Yonah was bad out, fine. But in this Pasuk, it says the Doug God died. Does that mean only the small fish died? What in Mitzrayim, the big fish didn't die from blood? If you had a big fish and there was no water, it was all blood, of course the big fish would die as well. It's, 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 it's ludicrous. It says the Gemara, you're right. Doug has the implication of both large and small. However, what's the big rule? Stop looking at the Pesukim. Why the Gemara even attempted it, I do not know. But we're saying from the Pesukim, we cannot tell anything about Dagan Daga. It's just the way that people talk. So that's the Gemara. No, they're not Sachna. He said Sachna. So Sachna, we said, was like a chopped up fish. So you're still mother on the brine and the fish juice, but you're also on a dish and something like a tuna. So I'm like, what about Sichin? Does that include the brine and the fish juice or not? So Sichin is a little bit different. right? We were saying Sachna doesn't answer the brine and the fish juice. So, so Tzachana, the Ron explains, the reason it's called Tzachana, where does Tzachana come from? So it's a really big smell. Tzachana means a smell. So it comes from, a, um, from the smell that's coming. Tzichin is much many different smells. So we're saying maybe it's answering even the smell that's coming from the fish. Maybe that's the pshat in the word Tzichin. So is it including the, the fish brine and juice? And Mara says, Tabai, we do not know. If someone said Tzichin is answered to him, whether it would be mother or answered to the fish juice.